I'm going to come out of Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 13. All right? Romans chapter 12, 1 through 13. My title is this, Changed by Mercy for Friendship. Changed by Mercy for Friendship. And um, we've just been seeing this, and really, uh, Pastor Brian's been spurring this on, and we've been talking how um, what we're seeing happen is there's, there's just such a friendship that's growing um, in our church, and it's so beautiful. And also, I, wanted, I shared this with the youth group as well, and I think it's just so central to what we're doing that, man, because of God's mercy, we're changed for friendship, right? And that's what I want to dig into. And so my first point is this, that we worship God with our lives through a dedicated life and a renewed mind, all right? So I want to read from Romans 12, 1 through 13. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's an incredible passage of scripture. And Paul is writing this to the Roman church. Um, This Roman church that Paul is writing to is going through a dysfunction. There's pain in this church. There there isn't friendship in this church. There's division in this church, right, that Paul is speaking to in Rome, right? So what's happening inside this church, you have two different groups of people. You have these Gentile Christians who have just been saved and now they see that the work of Christ has freed them to love and to know and be forgiven, right? And so they have this, and then what's happening is they're saying to these, Jew, I mean, these Jewish Christians that now you don't follow any of the Old Testament laws. But to these Jewish Christians, the Old Testament is their heritage. It's, it's their upbringing. It's, it's what's surrounded their lives. It's what's directed their whole culture, their whole family. And so this Jewish, these Jewish Christians are saying, no, we need to obey the Old Testament law as well as what Jesus says. right?" And so there's this, 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 this function. And what they're actually saying is some are saying, we're better than you. And the other are saying, we're better than you. And there might be pain, there's probably strife, man. There's probably been conversations that have led to hurtful words. Maybe they haven't spoken some people to each other in years, maybe decades, right? There's, there's unhealed wounds in people's hearts in this church that Paul is speaking to. And so he writes the book of Romans with an expectation that he'll go and speak with them in person as well. But in this book of Romans from 
the very first chapter, all the way to chapter 11, what he ends up doing is it's the pinnacle, some will say, of the, of the New Testament. It is some of the richest theology, the, the most amazing sentences you can read right here in Romans. And what he's doing is he's developing this rich, rich, rich theology of, of all people. Everyone is a sinner. Nobody deserves the grace of God. But through faith, when we believe in Christ, we have his forgiveness, right? And, and he gets into how Christ is, is like a new Adam, how Adam in the beginning, through the one man, many, all were made sinners, and now through one man, Jesus, right now the many will be made righteous, right? He, he's showing how Jesus is coming to bring a new life, bring new change. He'll talk about how because of Christ's death, we've died to sin, and through his life, we've been raised to a new life to live according to his standards. How now the spirit is at work in our lives and, and that he's guiding our thoughts and our minds and, and he's helping us live in his truth, right? He, and then he gets into the future hope. He, he talks about how one day we'll, we'll Although we have forgiveness here and now, one day we will live with him in heaven. Whether after death or, or when he comes back again, we will live where now there's, there's pain, there's suffering. Even though we have forgiveness, there will be a day when there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more injustice. And we'll live in perfect harmony with each other and with God, and they will be forever. right? And, and he's giving this future hope. And then after he gets through that, chapters 9 through 11, he starts talking about how Israel, this promised community of God, these Jewish people that, that God first revealed himself to, how this, this community, God is still loving them and, and leading them and how he still has a future for them, right? These Jewish Christians, but then now how these Gentile Christians, how the grace of God is for them as well and, he, and he's bringing them into the family of God, that Jews and Christians, or Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are coming together to form God's people, right? It, it says in, in um, Romans 10, 13, and I think this is what he's surrounding this in is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul has given this great theology some of the richest you'll ever read in the book of Romans. Why? So that these people will know who are hurting and hurting each other, who are, who are trying to pursue honor and trying to be the best, and they would know that the ground is equal at the cross, that salvation isn't something that we've earned or moved towards, but it's what God has done for us, and there's equality in the church, that, that people can know that it's, it's God's gift that we're his. He's doing all of this, friendship. Paul, Paul wants friendship in this Roman church. Uh, he's, he's given his whole heart, his mind, everything he's, he's really talked about in all the other books he's, he's gleaning on. Why? So that they would know that they are to be friends, that they know by the mercies of God that they would be friends. And that's what we see in this first two verses right here of chapter 12. He says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God, he's referring to all the chapters that he just wrote, 1 through 11. And here he gets to 12, where he's going to begin this application. That by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That now, through this knowledge of understanding that, that Jesus is the one who's brought salvation and that we're all equal in faith and knowing him, right, that it's, it's him who's done the work, that now we would be able to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What that really means is that we would dedicate our lives 
our actions, our, our, our skills to him. In church, but even more in our lives, everywhere we go. Everything we would do that would be dedicated to him. And then he says, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we live this dedicated life? It's with a transformed mind. It's with a renewed mind, not a mind that is focused on, on all these different philosophies and, and, and self-help and all these different things, but it would be renewed that it's according to God's will. It, it, it's breathing through us. It's, it's our focus. It's our guide. It's, it's what's leading every thought, leading every action, right? That this renewed mind is a new set of living that's in accordance with God's word as scriptures. If you want to know the mind of God, if you want to know the will of God, just read the scriptures. That is, that's where it is. We just talked about that in small groups in the book, um, 1 Corinthians, I don't know the chapter, but it's in there. It's in there. Chapter two, chapter two. Go ahead and read that. It's the thoughts of God, right? It's the thoughts of God. And, and when we have this renewed mind where it's according to his will, then what I see is this, that this church, it's almost like, I pictured it like this. A lot of times, I love going into the woods. I love being in the woods, walking through the woods, um, everything. And when I'm, when I'm in the woods, what I notice sometimes is that there's these different trees. I love looking at the trees. And what I see is this, that sometimes you'll be where it's a really thick canopy, where there's a ton of big, maybe some giant oak trees or some giant maples, right? You'll see that there's these smaller trees under them, and they're kind of like slanted, you know, and they might go this way, then they go this way, right? Then maybe they go this way. And what I notice a lot of times is that they're smaller, that they're kind of, they're kind of all jumbled up. They're kind of maybe weak. Maybe they've already died and you can just hit a, a, hit a branch and it'll fall right off. And, and what I pictured it is this, that what Paul is saying, these, these, just like these branches, these trees are reaching for the sun and they're searching any way to get some sun. There's no clarity of sun, so, so they're, they're all jumbled up, right? What Paul is saying in this church is that they don't have a, have a clear picture of the gospel. There isn't the light of God's truth, the light of, of his forgiveness, right? And so this church has been mangled. This church has been searching, right? And this church at times is dying because there's no friendship inside of it. And I think that this is the point that if we don't have a clear understanding, a, a clarity of mind in what God has done for us and through us and, and in us, that our lives can be jumbled, our, our relationships can be mangled, our, our thoughts can be mangled, right? Our, our maybe our, our self-esteem can be mangled. All these different things, because if we don't have a clear picture, an understanding of God's truth, if that's mangled, our lives will be mangled as well. Right? And, and so what Paul is saying is this, that when you have a clear understanding of God's forgiveness and love, what's gonna happen is that your life is gonna lead towards that and you'll be able to have a straight life that's, that's moving towards others, that's, that's outflowing in love. And that's what I think he gets to here. It says, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 
let us use them, right? And what I see in this passage is that he's saying if you, if you have a renewed mind, a changed life, a dedicated life, what's gonna happen because of the mercies of God, which you have finally, we have finally understood, right? Just like this Roman church, what's gonna happen is that we're gonna be humble in mind, understanding that the, the faith that we have isn't something that has been something we've earned or worked for, but it's faith that God himself has given to us so that we could believe in him and live for him. Right? He, he's, he's, he's pushing this idea that there's humility in knowing God. There's humility in understanding the gospel. In this humility, what it leads to is a unified church. It leads to a, a, a conjoining of different parts. Right? He, he understands that the church has different functions and actually that within unity, there's diversity. The greatest unity that you'll find, the greatest um, teams that you'll see are, have a diversity within them. Right? I, thought about, I thought about a mosaic. I love looking at um, artwork for a little while until my eyes get tired. But like when you're looking at a beautiful mosaic, right? If you were, to, if you were just to zoom in on a, little, on a little mosaic, what would happen is you would probably just see one little tile, right? One little tile. It's, it's all, all different shapes, right? It's probably chipped maybe a little bit, right? Sometimes they use broken tiles. It might be like... I don't know, maybe it's like a gray or maybe a, a light blue. I don't know. But when you start backing out and you, you start taking a bigger look at the, whole, at the whole picture, what you see is that all these little broken tiles, they're different colors, they're different shapes. But when you put them together, what you see is maybe this beautiful picture. Right? Maybe it's a picture of a sunset or, or maybe a picture of... of of the woods, I don't know, but it's just this beautiful picture that we see. Why? Because there's little pieces that work together to make a whole. Right? I thought of it like a football team. You got to get the both. You got to. We're going with. We're going with art. We're going with sports. Right? You got. You got a beautiful. You got an awesome football team. Maybe not a beautiful foot, football team. You got this football team, and, and I'm, I don't watch a ton of football, but when I do, it's hard. It's just so much going on. I can't. I can't focus in on it. And what I see is this. I try to focus in on one player. All right, and because sometimes I just watch the ball and I'm just like this. But when you when you start looking at the different players, what you see is right. You got that quarterback, right? He's got the ball, but then I try to look at the linemen in front of him, right? You got you got wide receivers running out. You got running backs who are who are ready to catch that ball. You got people there protecting the quarterback and and they're pushing all these different guys that are coming. They're doing everything they can to stop the quarterback. Right? And, and what you see is that every single person has their own job, their own purpose, their own task. And if they were to do it all by themselves, if everybody was trying to be a lineman, there'd be nobody to throw the ball and nobody to go for a catch. And if everyone was a quarterback, they'd all be running for the ball to throw it to nobody. Right? But, but when you have all these different people working for the same goal but different tasks, you see that there's a beauty within diversity because it works in a unity, right? There, there's, there's this central mission, this central goal, and they come together to make this beautiful, beautiful team, whether it be in a mosaic or in a football team, but I think even more in a church, right? Because Paul, he says, verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, right? These gifts that we have are given by him. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes 
and generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All of these different gifts, all these different tasks, all these different roles, they're working together, right? That's the beauty. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the function, right? That's the outline of the church, right? I was thinking about children's church teachers and, and deacons and elders and security and youth leaders and hospitality and greeters and administrators, pastors, teachers, grief ministry, giving, right? I was thinking of community, community group hosts and facilitators, right? All, all of these different tasks that we're a part of, all of these different serving areas, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm part of the team. I have my own gift that God has given me. I have my own faith and I'm humble in that faith. And what I'm doing is I'm coming and I'm saying, it's not about me, but it's about working together to lift up God, right? And, and you see that there has to be a diversity within the unity. There has to be this, this different, different task that everyone is doing. And that's how the job is done. That's how the, the church goes forth. And so find a place. Find a place that you can serve. Don't go to every place, but find one place and, and serve in that place. Be there with your gifts. If you don't know what your gifts are, begin to look at your gifts. Talk with someone. See what you have to offer because everyone has a gift. And what you'll see is that when you join that team with that humility of heart because you understand the mercies of God, you're able to serve in such a way that's beautiful, beautiful and unifying, right? And I think this third part that we see, 9 through 13, that we understand God's mercy, right? And we understand that because of his mercies, we can be humble because he's given it to us. And then we serve with the gifts that we have for the, unify, for the unifying of the body, but that there's also an aspect of friendship. There's an aspect of character that's involved, right? It says, verse nine, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I'll see this church, and they might have amazing gifts in this Roman church. I mean, you might have teachers. You might have, maybe, maybe you got high officials from the Roman government. Maybe you got senators and people who might know Caesar. And, and maybe, maybe you got... Maybe you got people who are wonderful at teaching children in that church and, and maybe people who, who, can, who can keep that place safe and, and you got builders maybe and you got all these different gifts that you see in this church. But that didn't fix the problem. I'm sure that there was wonderful gifts in that church. But that church was still, it was in disunity. There was dysfunction. That tree was, was mangled. And that's why Paul was speaking to them. The tree fell. No. So what, what, is, what is happening? Right? Paul is showing them that more than anything, he's saying there can't just be functions and tasks. And it, it's not just about all about knowledge and, and knowing everything that God has shown through, through the word. It's even more. It's, it's this application. It's this friendship aspect. This friendship aspect that he shows. Right? I thought of it like this. 
Uh, me, and, me and Rachel are going to be working on our, on our kitchen. And be, while we're working on our kitchen, we want to have a, uh, we want a dishwasher still. Actually, we don't have one at the moment. So we just got a dishwasher, this portable dishwasher. And I thought I had all the parts. And I tried putting the dishwasher. It started connecting it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I go to Lowe's. I get the wrong part. I go home. And then I'm like, oh, man. So I go back to Lowe's. I get the wrong part again. I'm like, oh, man. So I go, I go online, and I find the part. Right? It came in. I was so pumped. It's like, because I'm not doing dishes now until we get this thing. You know? And, and so now we, 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 we get all the dishwasher hooked up. Right? I plugged it right into the sink. I plugged that electrical cord in. I was so pumped. And then I go to turn on. The, I washed all. I cleaned them, and I threw them in the dishwasher. They all broke. No. I, and I had them in the dishwasher. And then I went to go turn it on. I was like, I got no dish soap. I got no dish soap. So I got, a, I got a bunch of dirty dishes. And I have an awesome washing machine, dishwasher, that will work awesome. This thing's going to be great. I think about it. It's going to be awesome. But there's no soap. So I still have dirty dishes in my dishwasher to this day. Right? But they will get clean. But I think what Paul is saying in this is that you can have all the parts and they could be all working, right? You can, you, can have, you can have the best sink. You can have the best fixtures, right? You can have the best security, the best children's teachers, the best uh, everything, ushers, greeters, media. You can have the best equipment and it can all be right in the right spot and it can all be connected. But if you don't have these character virtues, if you don't have friendship, then you don't have the soap. You, you don't have what, what God is doing. You don't have the purpose. You don't have the love. You don't have the joy. And I think what Paul is showing in this passage is that these, these people, these Romans, I'm sure they had it all. They're in the richest city in that entire world. But it was a broken church because there was no friendship in that church. And I think what Paul is saying is that in our churches, it's more than just all the tasks and all the roles, but it's about this friendship that unifies, that, that brings it together, Amen. that we're connected. Mm-hmm. And he starts with this. He says, verse 9, let love be genuine. I love this translation because he says, let love be genuine. He doesn't say, make love genuine. How can you make genuine? He says, let it be genuine. Allow it to be genuine. Let it flow from your heart. Right, this genuine love that some translations will say without hypocrisy. That, that my love for you isn't a show. Your love for me isn't a show. It's, it's not something I do maybe to get a pat on the back or it's not something I do to, to maybe hear something great later, but, but I love genuinely. It's from my heart. I have a desire to know you and, and I have a desire to help you and you have a desire, right? It's this genuine. It just seeps from who you are. Genuine love, right? And then he, I think that genuine love is what is really the summarization of the rest of these few verses, and as well as it keeps going down all the way to verse uh, 21. And then he says this, detest evil and cling to what is good. I like, I like abhor, abhor. I didn't even know what that meant I, at first. I was like, arbor. And I was like, no, it's not arbor, it's abhor. Abhor, it, it means to violently hate, right? It means to, like, detest. And I was like, all right, we love genuinely and we violently hate. I was like, that doesn't really flow. But when you look at what are you hating? Evil, right? I, I, I'm going to hate. I'm going to detest. I'm going to abhor. I'm going to violently hate gossip. I'm going to violently hate 
lust. I'm going to violently hate pride. I'm going I'm to violently hate these things. And what am I going to do? I'm going to cling to what is good. The next part. That word cling, when I thought of it, it's like, if my first thought was, oh, it's like hanging on a cliff, like just hanging, clinging, right? I just pictured clinging. But no, that word, what it actually means, it's, it's like cling, but it means to cement. It means to, to, to put together permanently, right? It, it was actually used at that time, it was a word used for welding metal together, right? It, it was a word used for when wounds close and they heal, right? It's this... It's this closing, this, this permanent love, this permanent uh, commitment to what is good, a commitment to care, a commitment to joy, a commitment to love, right? And I'm, I'm going to detest what's evil, and I'm going to be cemented in what's good. I'm going to hold it tight and never let it go. I'm going to make it something that, that is identifiable with me. I want it to be something that defines who I am, clinging, cementing to what is good, right? Then he gets into this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. I think we see that genuine love and that detesting of evil and that clinging to what is good in loving each other as brothers and sisters. What Paul is saying to this church which has been hurt by each other is, is you've hurt each other like you were not even friends, never mind family. And now I want you to, I want you to love one another like your family. I want you to care for one another. I want you to be sacrificial in your love maybe go out of your way to show that you care, to, to be there for a friend, to say something kind, to, to lift you up, right? And, and I've seen that in my life and in this church from the very beginning. My, I remember coming here. I was four years old when we came to New Bedford, and we didn't know anybody. We had no family here. And I remember, I remember coming, the first memory I have coming to New Bedford was Mr. Rich Boynton making us a swing set. For, for me, really for me, because my sister was too young. And, and I remember that, and I was, that, that never left my mind. I was like, this place is awesome. We got a swing set. So I love New Bedford. I don't even know where I was. Right? And, and, and that genuine love, that loving us like family. Right? A few months later, when my brother would be born, little Freddie, now big Freddie, my, basically my big brother now. And my, I love my brother Freddie. And when, when I first time I went to go see him in the hospital, I remember it. He was wearing a red hat, and I could see him through the glass, my best friend. And, and I remember, and you know whose hand I was holding? I was holding Mr. Rich's hand. He brought me to the hospital, right? They loved us like, they, they love us like family. They, they were there for us. My parents trusted them. And there's so many stories. I could go on for weeks, all the things that I've, the love that I've felt in this church. Because you've loved like family, and we continue to love like family. And that's what Paul wants for this Roman church. That's what he wants for us. And I know you've done. There's stories that I haven't even heard yet of people loving each other like family. Right? And then he goes on. He says, honor each other above yourselves. You see, Rome at that time, this was an honor culture where honor was a fixed commodity. Honor wasn't something that you could just keep getting and getting and getting and getting. Honor was something where you would have to Someone would have to get less honor for you to get more honor. And so people would step on each other, bring each other down, maybe talk evil of each other. Why? So that they could lift each other up, so that they would be seen as better. And honestly, I think we see this in our own, our own world. They call it a dog-eat-dog-eat dog world, right? Or they, you see this where maybe people drag each other down in order to lift themselves up. And, and what Paul is saying is, 
That is the worst. That's garbage. That's, that's, that's nothing. This is what you should do. You should lift each other up. That's what I picture. Honoring each other higher than yourselves. That before you search for a compliment or look for compliment, look, look to lift up your brother. Lift to, look to lift up your sister. Amen. Talk about all the things that they've done, the love you have for them. Lift each other up. Honor each other. Be there for one another. This, this giving of yourself so that they will be blessed. Amen. Right? And then he goes in, he says, be zealous and fervent in spirit and serving. And I felt, I felt that this morning in worship. I mean, that you just felt the presence of God and the excitement in the room. And that excitement goes forth. It's that same excitement when, when we're doing children's church or, or we're, we're doing the, the greeting in the back or, or when we're doing all these different things, when we're helping someone maybe who needs to maybe move a couch or, or maybe who anybody, whatever it is, and serving, I want to be zealous because I'm doing it before him. Why? Because the mercies, this is all linked to the mercies of God, which Paul showed from chapter 1 to chapter 11. This, this is what it is. That because of his mercies, I'm zealous, I'm fervent in serving. It's a gift to serve. It's a privilege to serve. Then he says, rejoice in, in hope. I love this. Rejoice in hope. Paul, chapter 8, he just talked about this. This is my, my new favorite thing right now. This future hope of that one day, though we have the forgiveness of God now, we will have the physical blessing when Jesus comes back or after we pass that, that Jesus is, is there, he's prepared a place for us and there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow, no, no more injustice, no more, no more suffering, that, that we'll live in perfect peace with God and each other and, and that it will be an amazing place, right? This is, the, this is the future hope, the rejoicing in hope and we have that now because it's a certainty that it will happen. There's no question there's no question. Though this life will be full of pain and, and the feelings are real and the pain is real, we can know and hope that there is a future blessing, a future certainty that we will be with him forever together, worshiping him. That's everything. That's what we hope for now. That's what we're trying to create now, but it will never come until he comes. So we rejoice in that. We know it's a certainty. It's cemented. And we're patient in affliction. We're patient when it hurts. Or maybe, said, maybe someone doesn't live this out. And, and even though maybe they've heard or maybe they, they know they should be kind or they know that they should be giving or they know that they shouldn't say a certain thing, they do. And, and we're patient in affliction. We're patient in knowing that it's okay. I have his love. I have God's care. I have my church. I have my family. I, I have them. And I'm patient in knowing that it'll come. It'll come. Patient, there's an expectancy with patience. Not a patience for nothing, it's a patience for him. Right? We're patient in affliction. And we're persistent in prayer. Right? This prayer, this communion with God, this, this understanding what he has and this giving our, our, our heart to him, our needs to him. Right? We just pour it out to him. Maybe the pains, maybe the relationships, maybe, maybe the, the financial... Uh, hurts right now, whatever it might be, we give it to him and he hears us and we can sit and wait and we can just hear from him, right? This persistent in prayer, we can commune with God. And then we share with those in need. When someone's without, 
And we have the opportunity to give because of the mercies of God, because of what he's done for us. We can give, right? We can be this friend to somebody and they will probably one day be a friend to us in this way. And then lastly, pursue hospitality, right? Blessing others, serving them, showing them that you love them, taking care of their needs. Maybe because they're not even in need. You just, you wanna love them and honor them. Be there for them. We see this in the community groups, people opening up their homes so that people can come and feel welcome and grow together and learn together, right? And dig in together and do life together and, and, and maybe hold each other up. Hospitality. What we see in this passage, 12, one through 13, because of the mercies of God, we have a dedicated life and we have a renewed mind. And what does that look like? It looks like a humble, humble view of ourselves that we're here to serve and be a part with our differing gifts, that there is a unity within diversity. And then after that, what we have is this. We have, we have a, a, a rejoicing in hope, which is seen in knowing that God has given us this ability for friendship. He's given us this friendship for, for knowing him, but then also knowing others, that, that we can be there for them and display his kindness and his goodness through all of these different virtues. And so, as you're that tree, as you're that tree growing, and at times, we've all gone different ways looking for the light to understand his mercies. But when you understand his mercies and they're clear in your heart, you have that renewed mind and that dedicated life. And I see that in this church because we're growing in friendship. This is what Paul wanted, this is what God wanted. So why don't we just pray while we close as the worship team comes up. Father God, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're true, that God, you're true in heart and true in mind and that you love us, God. You care for us, that God, you've given us your word so that, Lord, we wouldn't be in confusion, God. We know what you want. We know what you've given. And I pray, Lord, by knowing the forgiveness that you've given, that, Lord, we would live this life for you. You are so good and wonderful. Bless our church. Continue to grow us in friendship, Lord, because of the friendship that you've given us. You are so wonderful and awesome. It's in your wonderful name we pray, Father.